On March 10th, 2020, I was sitting next to two of my classmates in the New York State Capitol building in Albany. Good afternoon. It was the first time we were covering a press conference with the governor, and we felt like adults. I think most of the people know the people here today from my Sitting next to camera crews bigger than we've seen before, we took out our own cameras to take pictures of the New York State seal and the table where the officials would soon be sitting. We laughed about how we felt underqualified as we waited for former Governor Andrew Cuomo to come out and give us a daily update. And then he did come out, and the laughter and giddiness faded. Uh, Let's give you an update on COVID-19. So New Rochelle's at 108. New York City is at 36. All week Uh, long, there was uncertainty around what decisions would be made to contain this virus that no one had ever heard of. The widespread feeling shifted across campus back at SUNY New Paltz just as I imagine it did across the country. It quickly went from excitement around spring break to what is the rest of our senior year going to look like? March 12th from this Thursday, a two-week period where facilities within that area, schools within that area would be closed for two weeks. We'll go in, we'll clean the schools and assess the situation. Despite my friends remaining hopeful that we could celebrate our senior year, I knew in my gut that things were going to change really quickly. Two days later, we were packing our bags. We swapped all the senior year traditions, like walking at graduation, with opening our laptops from our childhood bedrooms. Instead of reporting in Albany a few times a week, it all went online, a tale we are all familiar with three years later. It was an adjustment that I had no choice in, In fact, I didn't even really take a second to think about all the changes that were being made. I just did what I had to do. That also meant interviewing for my first job from my childhood bedroom that had stars on the ceiling and One Direction posters on the walls. For the most part, being remote felt natural. I didn't know what I was missing out on by not going into an office every day. This was my normal. I'm a Gen Zer who likes to believe I can adapt fairly quickly, like a lot of other people born between 97 and 2012. We grew up on technology and know how to use it to our advantage. My older brother and mom were also working from home, although they weren't very open to the new dynamic of work. They asked again and again when it would be time to go back to the office. I started to wonder, what are they going on about? Am I missing key experiences? Is working in person better, especially as I kickstart my career? Gen Z is the newest generation of workers. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics projects that Gen Z will account for 30% of the U.S. civilian labor force by 2030. The workplace underwent a major change with the normalization of remote and hybrid work. Alongside this, there's acceleration of new tech like generative AI, and economic uncertainty, including layoffs affecting job sectors that we used to think were safe. Conversations have centered around the return to office. But what does the return look like when you're going to your first job and the office might be remote? 
Welcome to season two of The Return, a work-life podcast from Digiday Media about what the return to the office looks like as we adapt to the new post-pandemic normal. I'm your host for this season, Chloe Callahan, a reporter at WorkLife where I cover how modern workplaces and workforces are changing across six core areas, culture, technology, talent, leadership, spaces, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. As a new generation enters the workplace, it really feels like there's a rejuvenated effort to create change in the way we work. Why? What makes Gen Z different from previous generations? According to Heather McGowan, you got to go back to the beginning, the beginning of our lives, that is. I started paying attention to this about uh, a year and a half ago when Gen Z was starting to enter the workforce and people were starting to complain about them. I was like, you know, wait a minute. Are we really being fair for their life experiences? Heather is a future of work expert and thought leader. According to her, so much of how Gen Z operates is driven by the many world changing events they've lived through. They were born after 9-11 or in 9-11, so they never knew a time before the global war on terror. They entered about grade school when we had our global financial crisis, so they felt economic fragility at a pretty young age. Um, and then mass shootings in school systems started happening, whether it was you know Sandy Hook or Parkland, so the terror of mass shootings was a norm for them. Then in 2018, the UN Global Climate Report came out that said we had 12 years to save the planet. And many of them took that existential crisis to heart in a way that other generations had not. Then we had some social unrest around the Black Lives Matter movement, the Me Too movement. Around the time they were starting to get a sense of what these social contracts were in the world. And then they finished their education and entered the workforce in a global pandemic. Um, And then all along the way, they really never knew a time without war. So they've had trauma at every stage of life development. And as a result, they see the world very differently than prior generations. Those prior generations include millennials who were born between 1981 and 1996, Gen X who were born between 1965 and 1980, and baby boomers who were born between 1946 and 1964. Gen Z, a growing part of the workforce, sees the world and their place in it differently from those other generations. While every generation has faced challenges, Gen Zers are dealing with things like mental health concerns and economic uncertainty at new levels. McKinsey & Company's latest American Opportunity Survey shows that Americans aged between 18 and 24 years old report high rates of mental health challenges, impediments to effective work, and anxiety about the future. More than half said that they have either been diagnosed with or have received treatment for mental illness. That's compared to 31% of people aged 55 to 64. U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy issued a public health warning in December 2021 to address what he described as the youth mental health crisis exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. But it's more than just the COVID-19 pandemic. It's student debt, the cost of living, rising housing prices, and inflation. Consulting company Kantar issued a report that revealed that far from being the work-shy generation and the leaders of this quiet quitting movement, 40% of Gen Z are actually working more than one job. Daily Pay commissioned a survey with Harris Poll and found that 48% of Gen Z say they're unable to move out of their parents' home. 
33% of Gen Z are worried that high inflation will make it more challenging for them to buy a home themselves at all. Where millennials and Gen Zers are in the same boat is prolonging starting families. In a poll of 1,500 American adults for Newsweek, more than half of Gen Z and millennials between the ages of 18 and 34 said that they would consider having children if the cost of living was lower. Even despite all of this, Gen Z has made waves in the workforce already. They're demanding more work-life balance, better pay, and for companies to step up their corporate social responsibility. It's everything that they didn't see their parents have. Whether it's boomers or elder Gen X who, you know, maybe had relative peace and stability, maybe you graduated from university with nominal amount of debt if you had any at all, Maybe you've had a pretty stable career trajectory, even if it's gone through multiple companies, maybe you've bounced around a little bit, but you've perhaps been better off than your parents. The Gen uh, Zers are looking at possibly not being off better off than their parents. High levels of student debt, a lot of ambiguity, uncertainty, you know, in terms of our global peace and prosperity, but also in terms of what work might look like for them. So they're looking at this very differently. And I think we have to have empathy. Empathy is so important that Heather wrote a whole book about it. Heather co-wrote The Empathy Advantage, Leading the Empowered Workforce with technology journalist Chris Shipley. It was released in early 2023 and is a guidebook for leaders navigating the uncertainty of a post-pandemic world acknowledging that they must respond to the fundamental shifts and how it has impacted people from all generations. So they missed some experiences as part of their education, which may cause them to fumble a little bit as they enter the workforce, maybe a little more than prior generations. We have to have empathy for that as well. I mean, you look across all the generations, particularly younger ones, and we see, you know, certain markers of learning loss that took place. There may be some learning loss. There were certainly some missed experiences. Um, And there's a little sort of just exhaustion from it all that that, that we all certainly have. But Gen Z missing, you know, missing graduations and missing, you know, those kind of big moments that are generally in person where you gather together have left them sort of wanting a little bit, I think. And I think we have to be empathetic about that as well. One person who missed out on a pretty major experience because of COVID is Jarrah Reeves. My name's Jara Reeves. I graduated my undergrad um, in 2020, which was, you know, a pretty interesting year. So here I am, you know, three years later in the working world. Jara started playing football when he was in third grade. I decided that, actually, my dad decided it was time to play football. So <laughs> to be honest with you, I was interested in the sport, but at the same time, it didn't it didn't mean anything to me at that time. And my entire first season of playing football, my uniform was as clean as it could possibly. Like, we're playing in the mud. We're doing all that. My uniform was clean. I was not getting dirty. I probably went in and out of games without touching the ground, which is, if you know anything about football, that's you would think that's not possible. Going into my second year playing, you know, that's like fourth grade maybe, it just clicked. I guess I figured all the rules out. I had, I got an understanding of the game, and then it just clicked. And Jarrah's football career took off from there. He was the captain of his high school football team for two years and broke the school's records for catches, yards, and touchdowns in his senior year. Then it was time for the classic conversation high schoolers have with their parents about making decisions for their future. 
they believed enough in me to even communicate that and say, hey, like we believe that you have these abilities, but they wanted me to take it to another level and kind of see what what I would do with that. Um, and honestly, about a year from that conversation, about a year from that date, well, actually a little less than a year from that date um, is when I got offered a first my first full scholarships. Jarrah got a full scholarship to the University of Albany, where he played as wide receiver for the UAlbany Great Danes. In his senior year, they had their first ever FCS playoff win. A full scholarship out of high school, a successful college football season. For any other student athlete in any other year, the next step would be obvious. Try to get to the NFL. But Jarrah was graduating in the spring of 2020. Everyone else, until that point, you know, the last... 100 years, had the opportunity to, you know, just graduate, walk, and move on to, you know, whatever it is they wanted to move on to. But when 2020 comes around, obviously, it's like, I'm not anticipating that. And no one is anticipating that. So, you know, you heard little things early in that year of the possibility of something being dangerous, you know, and, you know, something we've never seen before, we're going to track it. Um, it's not going to be anything, but, you know, just worthy of being noted. And as these, as these things, this this worry and anxiety um, nationwide, and especially among college graduates, I know a lot of my friends, we were all in the same boat. Like, what in the world is going on and what are we going to do about it? Um, as those things started happening, you do get a little worried and you're like, number number one, why? You know, why, why is this? Why is this happening right now? Um, and can I still do business as usual, even though it's really not business as usual? And the answer to that question is no. Business as usual would mean a pro day, an event hosted by a university where NFL scouts are invited to watch student athletes showcase their talents. It's an important day if you want to enter the NFL draft. I was very surprised at the fact that it was a possibility that things would end out of my control. That was like the biggest part. Um, in addition, just to the nature that it happened, you know, you get around a month before pro day. Most of the pro days happen um, where you get to showcase your skills. Those happen around April, um, you know, some in May, late March, depending on, you know, just what your school's doing. That was right around the time that there was a breakout in the most uncertainty, you know, ever. So the world shuts down. We I get a phone call from the coach, you know, we're postponing the pro day. Um, and then a few weeks later, you know, we're canceling it. So again, a decision to make, do I continue to press? I, I, there were options for me to go in a different direction. Um, but I decided, you know, that it was, it was time to move on at that time. And it was very difficult, you know, to do that. I, re I remember that day vividly. Yeah. Why don't we take a moment if you're comfortable walking us through that day, those emotions that you were feeling and yeah, tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. So the day, like the exact day I decided to to move on just completely, um, it was my birthday. So it was, it was April 23rd. Um, and I just remember I was sitting down with uh, my mom and my sister and they were just saying, you know, kind of, what are you going to do? Because we don't know what's going on in the world, you know, per se. We're at home. We're preparing to like really be at home because we don't know what's going on. So it's like, what are you going to do? And, you know, I let them know um, I'm a I'm gonna move on, and I was I was crying on that day because, um, and it wasn't it honestly it wasn't tears of sadness per se, but I felt I felt grief 
in my heart because I knew internally I struggle with transition. Um, I, I struggle when things are out of my control, as many of us do. Um, and those are things I'm very aware of. And in that moment, that was the most out of control I've, I had been in my life up to that point. You know, training every day, um, diet, um, recovery, like oh, I'm doing everything. And then suddenly you don't get to showcase those skills. It was just very rough, you know, just coming to that conclusion suddenly in, in everyone's mind, the world's over, first of all. Um, and then whatever plans you had, they're probably not going to work out. Or if they work out, they're not going to look how you thought they would look. So coming to terms with all those things was, it was tough to be honest with you. After the break, Jera, along with the rest of Gen Z, has to think about what now? Jarrah's feelings of grief and uncertainty were shared by numerous others graduating from college in 2020. Post-grad plans were scrambled for many and for others, scrapped entirely. Nearly half of Gen Zers said the pandemic had made their schooling and career aspirations tougher, according to a survey conducted by the Associated Press with funding from MTV. For me, I fell in love with news reporting so much during my senior year internship that ideally my first job would have been reporting out in the field for local news. However, with everything shut down, I decided to accept a content writing job that didn't require any field work. It wasn't my first choice, but I did feel lucky to enter the workforce right out of college. For Jera, it was a far bigger pivot. I just gave up something that consumed the majority of my life. So I had to, you know, make sure that I had something, you know, planned or that I was interested in. Um, and all of that did, it's still centered around sports because my experience of seeing people help other people was through sports. That was just how, that was how things worked in my head. Um, I was fascinated with coaching and not, not the athletic, not the yell at the player you're doing this wrong coaching. Not I've had plenty of that, but the coaching part, like you can develop somebody, you can bring somebody literally from point A to point Z if you're willing to be considerate of their individual abilities and, you know, whatever potential that they have. That just fascinated me. How could you hone the skills that were already inside of you? Um, and that was like really, it really resonated with me. So I wanted to get involved in some way, shape or form in the people development business, I would say. Um, honestly, looking at coaching salaries and things like that, entry level, absolute negative. I I was not prepared to volunteer for <laughs> volunteer for a year or, you know, make $15,000, $20,000. I, that was not the route I wanted to go athletically. Um, but at the same time, I was like, there's other ways to do this. I just need to find them. And little did I know, you know, there was a whole world, you know, to kind of dive into in the area of leadership, coaching, developing people, um, all of these things is just what I slowly began to discover. Jera ended up diving into that intersection of leadership, coaching, and development with a job at Binghamton University School of Management. He is now the coordinator of the Transformational Leaders Program, where he helps students from all backgrounds perfect managerial and communication skills. It's a job that didn't exist before he got there, which means that he also had the opportunity to help shape it. I was very excited to get started because I knew, like, I had the opportunity to do something 
special. You know, it was it was just like this is a this is an idea. You know, whatever you can make of it, um, will will help you with it. But whatever you can make of it, uh, will will be very proud of it. You know, so that was kind of the nature of the job, and I guess practically. It involves a lot of meeting with students in individual settings, group settings, um, teaching a few classes, monitoring students' progress, you know, academically um, in their leadership development, professional development, um, in their personal development. Um, and it involves, you know, setting up programming that really resonates with students and keeps them engaged um, in really attacking their work at a high level. And then just establishing a, a competitive edge in the student because, Everyone's going to do an internship, hopefully, you know, if, if that's the route you want to go. Um, every, there's a lot of things that every student does or a version of that that they do. And that's just kind of how the system's set up and it's fine and it's been working. But at the same time, what what is different about you? You know, what have you done? What experiences have you had that will separate you that we don't have to sit in an interview and hear the same story from 50 candidates? You know, we're really trying to attack that. Um, and it looks different for everyone. While Jarrah experienced a huge pivot from sports to academia, he says he's happy with where he's at. He plans to grow his 39-person student cohort by 20 or 25 more this fall. So if you can create something that is of your own and feel a sense of ownership, then you'll attach more meaning to your work. It was, a, it was an honor to have the opportunity to put something together that I'm actually interested in. You know, I don't like roll out of bed onto the floor and like, oh my gosh, I got to go back. You know, it's not that kind of thing. Um, I'm, I'm excited to, to be here because I know that I'm creating something. It's clear that Gen Z is resilient and the data backs that up further. A four country survey conducted by Pearson found that 80% of college students say their generation has become more resilient because of the adversity they faced during the pandemic. Each trauma that Heather listed at the beginning of this episode from the normalization of mass shootings to the global climate crisis has ultimately shaped this group of people to be who they are. And they're showing up in the workforce ready to make waves. On this season of The Return, we'll look at how that resilience takes shape and the challenges that these young professionals continue to face. Next week, we'll dive into how the pandemic made it harder for Gen Z to form mentorships and friends at work and the domino effect that's had on their happiness and job satisfaction. This is your host, Chloe Callahan. Until next time. The Return is brought to you by Digiday Media. This podcast was written and reported by me, Chloe Callahan, and produced and edited by Sarah Patterson with production assistance in this episode from Anya Gunn.